the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. By and large, the majority of these people never even seen anything. So there's no longing there naturally, except that God put it in their heart. And the work of God will be done by the people of God who respond to the move of God. And that's what happened here. These people were moved in their hearts, and so they went. And again, just adding to our list now through Ezra and Nehemiah, a second principle we see here is that everyone whose heart God had moved will go. Those are the ones who went. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezra. Has God put something on your heart to do or to give? Don't try to rationalize it and don't delay either or else you'll miss out. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches on the work God did when he moved the people of Israel out of captivity and back home to rebuild. God moved in the heart of King Cyrus to send them and he moved in the hearts of many Israelites to go and contribute. Not all went and not all gave, but those that did left a legacy for generations after them. So don't bury your gift and lose it. Respond to God's move on your heart. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ezra, chapter 2, for today's message titled, When God Moved Hearts. We started here into the book of Ezra. And again, as I mentioned, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah were originally written as one book in the ancient Hebrew scrolls. And that is because both of them have a similar theme. They both detail and describe the events concerning the return of the Jews after 70 years of captivity in ancient Babylon, which is in modern Iraq, their return to Israel, to their homeland, and particularly to the city of Jerusalem. They had been kept captive in Babylon for 70 years because it was all part of God's plan to discipline them and to humble them because they had gotten so far away from Him through idolatry and immorality. And so God providentially allows Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, to come and besiege Jerusalem, to take off tens of thousands of Jews to Babylon where they will spend the next 70 years. But it was all in God's providential plan to bring them back. And we talked last week about how, you know, Ezra and Nehemiah really are books about rebuilding and reestablishing. 
That's what these books are about. They detail the rebuilding process in Israel of the Jewish people after 70 years of being in captivity in Babylon. And it's about reestablishing themselves in the land of Israel. As we looked into the first part of Ezra 1, we noticed how God had his providential hand in the things concerning the Jewish people. That here they are in captivity for 70 years in Babylon, and God moves on the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation that the Jews can go back home. There's a new king on the throne. History tells us, the Bible tells us, that the Persians overcame and conquered the Babylonians. Now the Persian Empire is the largest, most powerful empire on earth at this time, roughly 538 B.C. And Cyrus is now king of Persia. Nebuchadnezzar's been deposed and overthrown. He's long gone. And God moves in the heart of Cyrus, this pagan king, to let the Jewish people go home. Even Isaiah the prophet, we looked into Isaiah, how three times Isaiah mentioned Cyrus by name 150 years before Cyrus was even born. That's how providential God is. He's on the throne. He's in control. God is in charge and he's sovereign. That pertains to us as well as individuals, that God has a providential plan for our lives. I hope that you can look at your life in the rearview mirror and recognize there have been many times when the Lord has arranged things providentially, that no other explanation except for the providential hand of God that has gotten you to where you are or connected you with the person that you married or all sorts of things relative to your life. It's been the providential hand of God. Well, there's something else here in chapter 1 that caught my eye. Right after Cyrus the king issues this proclamation that any Jew can go back home who wishes, In verse 5 of chapter 1, there's this phrase here I want you to key in on with me. Verse 5 of chapter 1, it says, And then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Notice that phrase there, everyone whose heart God had moved. Now, this is not really another point, but it is a phrase that I'm going to repeat often through our teaching time this morning, and that's this, that the work of God will be done by the people of God who respond to the move of God. Because that's what we see happening in this story. What we see happening is God begins to move in the hearts of people. It started with Cyrus. In verse 1 of chapter 1, it clearly says that the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. Because it has to be the move of God in the heart of this king. No king who's over a kingdom, the most powerful kingdom at the time, would naturally want a bunch of the people in his kingdom to just move, to leave. I mean, that has to be something that God orchestrates. And as well, we see that God then also not only moves in the heart of Cyrus the king, but he moves in the hearts of the people. In verse 5, that's what we just read. He moves in the hearts of the people, everyone who wants to go, to go. Because again, no person, none of the Jews would just naturally want to move. Why? Well, let me just paint the picture for you. It's a 900-mile walk over desert terrain to get to a land that is just rubble. There's nothing there. There's no job. There's no home for you. There's no temple. There's no city. Where are you going to live? How are you going to make a living? Where's the food? Zero. Nothing. That would be like somebody saying to you, you have this great opportunity, okay? This great opportunity to walk 
to walk from Leesburg to Mobile, Alabama. Because that's about the same distance as what the Jews went from Babylon to Israel. You get to walk from Leesburg to Mobile, Alabama with the shirt on your back. And when you get there, there's not going to be any sweet tea, fried chicken, or double wide. There's not going to be nothing for you down there. There's not going to be a single thing for you. No job, nothing. You're going to get to Mobile, just going to be a pile of rubble. That's all it is. And you get to rebuild it. You get to rebuild it from scratch. You get to build your own home from scratch. You get to try to figure out where you're going to live and how you're going to settle down and make a living out of nothing. But the reason you're going to go is because your father and your father before him owned some property there. So get hiking, have at it. Now, how many people would be all that motivated to walk 900 miles to a place that you've never even seen? Most of the people in the story have never seen their homeland. They've been 70 years in captivity. The majority of these people were born there over the 70 years. They've never even seen the homeland. It's not like they're longing for, oh, I remember this and I remember that. Some did. Yes, some were young when they were taken captive. So if they're 10 when they're taken captive, now they're 80. So there are a few who remember the good old days. By and large, the majority of these people never even seen anything. So there's no longing there naturally, except that God put it in their hearts. And the work of God will be done by the people of God who respond to the move of God. And that's what happened here. These people were moved in their hearts, and so they went. And again, just adding to our list now through Ezra and Nehemiah, a second principle we see here is that everyone whose heart God had moved will go. Those are the ones who went. But I will tell you, not everyone went. I will tell you, in fact, Proportionally speaking, not many went back. Now, it's difficult to calculate how many Jews were actually taken captive originally by Nebuchadnezzar. There are some references in 2 Kings 24, Jeremiah 52, but they are not the total numbers, and they also more than likely don't include women and children. So Bible scholars don't really know how many Jews were originally taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. The belief is, the thought is, tens of thousands, probably in the multiple hundreds of thousands. The Bible says only the poorest were left in Israel. So how many were there and how many were taken, we're not really sure. But what most scholars are agreed on is that whatever the number was originally taken, proportionally speaking, not many went back. Now, if you look here in chapter 2 with me, you see the list of those who went back. In chapter 2, look at verse 1. In verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, Now these are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. And then you see the list. It's like a census here in chapter 2. You see a list of the descendants of different people and the numbers, the count there. And you get all the way near the end, and they total it for us somewhat. We have to do a little bit more math, but look at verse 64. Verse 64, it says that the whole company numbered 42,360 besides their 7,337 men servants and maid servants. And check this out, they also had 200 men and women singers. I mean, if you're going to go on a 900-mile journey through a desert, you better have some people singing and entertaining you along the way. 
So they got some men servants and maid servants, and they got some singers going there. Verse 66 says they had, it gives us the total of the livestock too. They had 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. So some Democrats went with them too. And uh, it's just the party logo, folks. Just relax. I'm not making fun of Democrats. Just the party logo. Anyway, so there they go. And if you add the number together, just the people, not the livestock, look at verses 64 and 65. The total number is 49,897 people. When you add up just the human beings, not the livestock, 49,897 people. Now, remember, this is just the first wave. I mentioned to you last week there were three waves of the exiles going back to Jerusalem. This is the first wave, 538 B.C., led by Zerubbabel. The second wave is led by Ezra. That's chapters 7 and 8. There's a second group that comes, but that number is only around 1,800. There's a third wave that comes, almost 100 years after the first wave. That's led by Nehemiah in 444 B.C. That's the book of Nehemiah, and they don't even number those who return in the third wave because it's so few. All told, about 50,000, give or take, were the number who returned over three waves back to Jerusalem. Again, a very small number of the original group who went to Babylon. Most of the Jews who were taken captive to Babylon will adapt to life in Babylon, and they will never go home. Most of them are too comfortable, too settled, and set in their ways. Most of them love their familiar surroundings too much. They decide to stay right where they are, and they do nothing. And it spoke to me. When I look at this story and I think about that, it struck me, what opportunities might God bring along our way You just make this personal. Just think about this. What opportunities might God bring along our way that we don't respond to because we're just too comfortable where we are? We don't want to be challenged. We don't want to be stretched. We don't want to take the risk. We're just going to play it safe and stay right where we are. It reminds me of the parable in Matthew 25, which I won't read, but I'll summarize to you. Jesus teaches this parable in Matthew 25 called the parable of the talents. Now, a talent was a unit of money. A talent was generally 75 pounds. But in general, the parable is not about money. It is about, in general, just stewardship and what do we do with all that God has given us. And Jesus puts it in parable terms. And he says, there was this master who had some servants, an employer with some employees, and he was going away on a trip. And so he entrusted his possessions to his servants. And there were three, and he gave one five talents. He gave to a second one two talents. He gave to a third one one talent. And in the parable, Jesus says, he gave to each according to their ability. God is never going to give you more than you can handle, but everything he gives you, you should handle for his glory. He gave five to one, two to another, one to another. And then he went away. He says, now take care of what I have here and make sure that you use it well and honor me with it. When he came back after being gone for a long time, the one who had been given five had invested it, used it, multiplied it in a way that would bring honor to his master, and he produced five additional ones. So he returns ten, and the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. 
The second guy who had been given two did the same thing, duplicated it, had two more, gave him back four. The master said, well done, good and faithful servant. The last guy who was given one, the Bible says he dug a hole and buried it in the ground. He just wanted to play it safe. And to that one individual in the parable, the master called him, you wicked, lazy servant. And he was judged and he was thrown to a place where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a very strong parable. But in general, I think what it simply communicates to us is when God entrusts anything and everything to you, which he has, everything that we have, we cannot lay claim to ourselves. It's all God's. It's from his hand. And he has only given you the ability to produce that. It is all the talent and the skill and the ability and the know-how and the knowledge coming from God to accumulate all that you and I have, and it is all from His hand, directly or indirectly, it's all from God. And the idea is we had better be careful with what He's entrusted to us. The second thing that we see here, actually it's the third on our list here, if you look further in chapter 2 now, verses 68 and 69, I want you to see verses 68 and 69 with me, chapter 2. It says, when they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave free will offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work 61,000 drachmas of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. So on the list, as we're just tallying everything, principle number three is everyone whose heart God had moved will give. That's what happens here as well. They get to the temple of the Lord. Now, please don't misunderstand. It's just rubble. I know it says that they gave free will offerings towards the rebuilding of the house of God, that they arrived at the house of God, but they gave for building the house of God on its site. Because when they get there, it's rubble. It was destroyed 70 years earlier by Nebuchadnezzar. So it's just a foundation, and it's a mess. And so they pull together the resources, and they give generously here, by the way. Look at the list. Verse 69, 61,000 drachmas of gold. In your Bibles, you might have a footnote. That's 1,100 pounds of gold. And then they also gave 5,000 minas of silver. That's three tons of silver. So this is a lot. And if you translate it in modern terms with the value of gold and silver today, gold over the last four weeks averaged about $1,156 an ounce. So you take all the gold they gave, 1,100 pounds of it, it comes out to a little more than $20 million of gold. And the silver that they gave, roughly today about $15 an ounce, it's one5 million dollars of silver. So between the silver and the gold alone, $21.5 million in today's value is what they gave for building a building. By the way, when you look at the dimensions in scripture, it's only 2,700 square feet. It's smaller than what some of your houses are. $21.5 million. And you might ask yourself, where did the people come up with all this cash? These were the exiles in Babylon and they're leaving with the shirts on their backs. How did they have this kind of gold and silver with them? It's fascinating. Go back to chapter 1 for a minute and look at the proclamation from Cyrus. The proclamation from Cyrus in verse 4 of chapter 1. He says, And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Notice this. What did Cyrus do? In his proclamation, he told his own people of Persia, when the Jews leave, I want you to give them silver and gold and livestock. They're going to need it where they're going because they have to build a temple. And so as they left... 
The Persian people gave them silver and gold. That's where they got it from. In other words, God provided in unexpected ways for them to do unbelievable things. And that's what God still does with us. Again, don't look at your life and think that all that you've accomplished and accumulated is the talent or the work of your hand. It is the provision of God, and He's given you the ability and the skill and the talent to accumulate and accomplish what you have accumulated and accomplished. But it is all His, and it all belongs to Him. And because it's all His, and it all belongs to Him, we need to be funnels of it and good stewards of it, because if we're not, it belongs to Him, and He can take it away in a red-hot minute. He can. Because He's not going to give us something that we're not managing well. Now, I know the whole idea of money and talking about things. Believe me, if it's uncomfortable for you, it's much more uncomfortable for me. I don't enjoy it. I don't like it. It's one of these things out of necessity that it is what it is. But I want to relieve you of any concern that I'm strong-arming anyone by looking at the rest of this verse with me. Verse 68. Chapter 2, verse 68. It says, When they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some... Some of the heads of the families gave free will offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. It doesn't say all. It says some. Now, the more the better, but it doesn't say all. It says some. The truth is, some of you are in a place where perhaps you've already given all you can, or you're in a place just personally where you really can't stretch anymore. It's okay. Others of you are in a place where Things are going really well for you, and you can sacrifice a little bit more for those who can't. I mean, together, collectively, the work of God will be done by the people of God who respond to the move of God, and it's okay. There are some, and notice also verse 69 says, and they gave according to their ability, according to their ability. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul reminds us that in generally speaking, the idea of giving is that each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So may we be cheerful givers. May no one feel compelled or forced or strong-armed, but we want to be good stewards and we want to be generous as much as it depends on us. Let us be that generation for a new generation as we move forward. But there's a generation, for example, before you. We're going to be that generation now for thousands after us. Thousands of people, not thousands of generations. I hope that Jesus returns before thousands of generations. (laughs) And lives will be eternally changed for the gospel. And you and I have the ability and privilege on the front end to make the sacrifice for the benefit of many who will come after us. So as many as whose hearts move will go, as many as whose hearts move will give. Lastly, and i got to hustle through this one because we're pretty much out of time, but everyone whose heart God had moved will get involved. When you look at this story, remember there are thousands of Jews who are traveling 900 miles on foot to get to a place that is a mess. It's rubble. It has been destroyed. They have nothing. So all of these people have this in mind. We're going there to roll up our sleeves and work. We're going there to roll up our sleeves and work. The days ahead mean that we all have to roll up our sleeves and work. The work of the ministry cannot rest on the back of a few paid people. 
The work of the ministry is something we all share as the body of Christ. Because that's what it's going to take as we move forward. Roll up our sleeves and work. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that we might all be built up in the fullness and in the unity of the body of Christ. So it is part of my role to help all of us. Let's get together. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's work. We've got some important things ahead of us. And so let's serve together for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God. Pastor Gary shared more from the story of the return of the exiles from the Persian Empire. God shows us through this book that he keeps his promises. Before the exile, God had promised 70 years earlier that his people would once again return to the land. God is always faithful to complete what he has begun and to fulfill his promises. We too can count on him always. We hope today's message has been encouraging to you. If you don't know God and would like to, please call us at 703-771-1500. We'd love to introduce you to him. Once again, that number is 703-771-1500. If you enjoyed today's message and want to hear more, we have an archive of teachings available on our website. You can subscribe to our podcast or just listen online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also have a mobile app that you can download to your smartphone or tablet. Take the biblically-based messages of Cornerstone Connection with you on the go to add some encouragement to your day. That's all we have time for today. We've enjoyed our time together with you. Join us again for more of Pastor Gary's study in the book of Ezra next time on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.